Welcome back to Monster Stories Podcast, Living with Evil. I'm your host, Suzanne Cole. This is the podcast where we discuss the experiences of being with a psychopath, a monster, a person who lacks the capacity for genuine human emotion. On today's podcast, we discuss the imagination, what it's like to be held captive in someone's imagination, or to hold another captive in your own imagination. We explore a little bit of what that means, what the implications of this phenomenon has for human intimacy. And this is something that laces itself through all aspects of character, regardless of whether you're a psychopath, a sociopath, a narcissist, or just someone who hasn't been aware, who hasn't been themselves. Of course, the psychopath uses the imagination to entrap people, as we've spoken of in all the previous episodes, all different aspects of it, from triangulating and gaslighting to luring in his prey. What does it mean to be held captive within one's imagination? Let's say your lover's or your spouse's imagination. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone for a substantial period of time? Uh, A spouse, a friend even, and awakened at one moment, perhaps in the middle of the night or in the middle of the daydream, to suddenly and soberly realize that the greater part of your relationship has been based on the imagination of you held by another person. That is to say that your lover has actually not been seeing you or being with you, but being with his or her imagination of you. Have you ever had the courage to allow yourself to know this or to ask this or to realize it? It interrupts all kinds of status quo when one realizes that they have been the imaginative object of another person's love. They themselves, the actuality of them, has not been seen or embraced by another person. And conversely, have you ever actually loved another person? Or have you loved the imagination of that person? In other words, have you projected onto that person what you've wanted them to be, what you've wanted from them? Have you hindered their growth in this fashion? And then back to you again. Has another person held you captive within their imaginative projection of you so that when you've tried to explore something new, taken a new course, grown in a way that you haven't, the other person is disgruntled, in fact, is, is disordered because of it, because it does not comply with their imagination of you, which is a straitjacket of sorts. What is it like to have this moment of clarity where you realize that the depth and breadth of you has not been embraced by another person because you actually have been a figment of their imagination and they've spent maybe the entire relationship, maintaining 
you as a figment of their imagination, a projection of their imagination. They've not ever really seen you. It's chilling, isn't it? And yet it's a huge problem. In fact, I would venture to say that most divorces are based on this phenomenon of one or the other person not complying with the imagination that was expected of them, of the projection that their spouse had hoped to keep them in. As we grow older and are impelled toward unrequited dreams, and we find our partners resisting our desire to grow, to change, we are given a clue at that point that we probably have been a figment of their imagination. We probably have been limited to their imaginative vision of us. This is a very difficult time in our lives because we realize that we have been caught unwittingly in an entrapment, an entrapment of the imagination, an entrapment within another's imagination or projection of us. We are a figment of another's imagination, in other words. I ask you to reflect on this phenomenon throughout the episode and reflect on it personally. It's so germane, this pathos, that has afflicted the intimacy of much of our society, of the majority of our relationships. This phenomenon of not really embracing another person, but embracing our imagination of who we want them to be, of who we expect them to be, a captivity we want to hold them in. And yes, it is often unwitting, because there are no courses that tell us how to discern between whether we actually are in love with a person or in love with our imagination of them. And you can see how this captivity, this captivation that we've called it, we've come to call it in a colloquial manner, this captivity is a very damaging realm to live in. If you are the one who's captive, you can see how the psychopath really capitalizes on captivity of the imagination, how he works at captivating others with his charm, with his stories, his dishonesty, uh, his masks that are affable and loving and teddy bearish. Remember from other episodes, he creates masks that comply with needs he senses we have. So he's able to be whoever it is that we've never had in our lives. So we're captivated by that very person who's been lacking in our own imagination. The psychopath, the sociopath, learns from very early on that the imagination is where his strength lies in terms of captivity, even if you're not the primary prey. But let's muse on this notion of being held captive 
within another's imagination of us, within another's projection or imagination. They are two separate phenomena, similar but separate. This is a very prevalent narcissistic trait. In fact, it would be unusual if we haven't had the opportunity to be in an imagined relationship with someone throughout our lives. It's something we automatically do, whether it's our imagined lover, our imagined job and boss, our imagined self. Imagination, of course, can be a great asset in our lives. It has been a great asset to our society, but it also can become pathological and can create dissonance. The pathos or suffering that comes from imagination is when we begin to want others to conform to our imagined notion of them. Then they are, as I say, held captive in some ways. And we may not have even intended for this to happen, but it just unwittingly has occurred. When we straightjacket someone within our imagination of them, we disallow change, curiosity, eagerness. We disallow intimacy within our relationship. If we're in a straitjacket because our partner won't let us go beyond the bounds of their imagination of us, we start to lose a desire to be with them, a desire to know them. We usually are pushing against something we can't even name. If your spouse or the other person has been operating this way all their lives, they won't be able to recognize the distinction between the reality of you and the reality of their imagination of you. It's a very difficult situation. I'm sure you know what I mean, most of you. I'd like you to think about that in your own relationship right now. You may not have even seen your spouse as narcissistic. You may have called them a control freak. There are all kinds of banal colloquialisms we use to term this notion of being held captive in another's imagination of us. We say, well, they are controlling, or they don't like change, or they're conservative, or that's the kind of family they come from. They're all like that. But regardless of what sort of phrase you use to describe being captured by another's imagination and trying to fight your way out of it, the relationship will feel dead-ended. It will feel that there's no other place to go but out or conform. Let's say you begin a new profession or vocation, some dormant interest that you've always desired to pursue, and you present it to your spouse. And he says, well, that's not like you. Why would you want to do that? Or you must be doing that because you're depressed over someone. Or it must be because of pressure at work, right? Your spouse will look for reasons why you have gone beyond the boundaries of his or her imagination of you. She may suggest a trip or a diversion to restrict you from entertaining these renewed desires. Suddenly, you are forced to ask the question, albeit fleetingly for some people, of whether you shall be or not be yourself, probably 
for the rest of your life, for the duration of your days? Of course, some people never ask this question. Some people just instantly comply with their spouse's reasoning, with their spouse's imagination of them. That happens in a lot of situations. And sadly, however disgruntled they are within, they remain a figment of their spouse's imagination. That's their life. Now let's apply this scenario to the extreme narcissistic behavior, the psychopath. It plays out a little differently with uh, him or her, since he uses this imaginative capacity as his central modus operandi. He's very skilled. The imagination is central to all of the psychopathic machinations. It's the way he holds people captive and draws them in, as I've said in other episodes. I've explored this in a little more depth. The psychopath or sociopath is very good at determining what is real and what is imaginative. And he has a very high stake in having you never realize what's real about him. As I've mentioned to you, he has many masks that he wears, and they're all fashioned to be the person that you need, be the person that you desire. And it's all a veneer. It's all in the imagination that he has you believing in him. The psychopath is a figment of your imagination in terms of his presentation or her presentation. Now, of course, this is a very abbreviated scenario of a highly complex psychology, captor and captive, how the psychopath uses the imagination to capture and maintain his prey. But it's the same psychology that we see within our own lives, with our, within our own relationships, when we notice at some point, if we ever do, that we are being constrained by another's imagination of us that we are being constrained by the projection another person has imposed on us, maybe years ago. And either we didn't notice it, or we let it roll off, or we found ways to placate the other person, but we hadn't really realized the extent of the entrapment of the imagination until now. And now, when you realize this, at three in the morning or four in the morning, you break out in a panic, right? And your life is flashing before your eyes while you've been married to someone who doesn't really know you, who may not even want to know you. They only want to maintain their imagination of you, what they've projected onto you. So imagine what a captive feels like, a real captive of a real captor, of a psychopathic captor. She or he knows from very early on that she's with a false person, 
that she's with a person who has no interest in exposing any kind of truth to the world, that her reality is a complete falsity. It's a complete ersatz scenario, a sham, which is what happened to me with Dr. Mario and what happens to many with all the other Dr. Marios. These captives of psychopathic captors, unlike you, who may be with someone who has captured you inside of their imagination, don't have the choice, as you do, of waking at three in the morning in a panic and then making the decision to either remain a figment of your lover's or spouse's imagination or to free yourself from those confines. Fleeing the captivity of a psychopath always meets with severe punishments, as I've spoken of in prior episodes and will continue to. Author John Fowles, in his poignant portrayal of a captor and captive in the novel The Collector, which most of us had to read in high school, illustrates very astutely the many aspects of the captive imagination. He shows us how Frederick is in love with his imagination of loving Miranda. Frederick, who has seen Miranda on many occasions but has never spoken with her, is in love with what he imagines love to be like with Miranda. Now, this is a phenomenon common in our society, perhaps in your own life, being in love with the idea or imagination of love, being in love with your imagination of another. Frederick eventually holds Miranda captive due to this imagination of love with her, just as your spouse may be holding you captive within her or his imagination of love with you, his imagination of you. Frederick takes this imagination to a literal degree as well. He holds Miranda captive within a quintessential little home in the country in England. And he dotes on her, and he hopes that she will like this little cottage. He sees himself, and actually feels himself, to be in a relationship with her, to be in a love relationship with her, and showers her with gifts. And when Miranda appears unkind or not grateful, he calls her an ingrate, he calls her spoiled, he calls her haughty. And in some instances, Frederick punishes Miranda. Frederick is so involved in his imagined relationship with Miranda that he nearly forgets he is holding her against her will, that she, in fact, is not allowed to leave the house. Again, this became the situation with Dr. Mario and your host. After I had been disabled sufficiently, I couldn't leave the captivity. This is the situation for all of those who are being held captive by all of the many Dr. Marios there are in the world. And as you know from popular books and documentaries and podcasts, many or most 
do not get out alive, or they are so disabled by trauma and physical wounds that they never have an opportunity to tell their stories. This is where gaslighting, one of the places gaslighting enters into the situation for the psychopath. It becomes a very powerful tool. He cries to the neighbors, literally. He is able to manufacture these tears for the neighbors that his wife has been abusive or her husband doesn't ever show gratitude or respect for who she is. Or, look at all these beautiful gifts I give her. Why is she so uncaring in response to me? And parenthetically, by the way, she's being held captive in the household because I've injured her that much. Or, he's being held captive by my imagination of him, by my static imagination of him, which doesn't permit any growth, which doesn't permit any kind of freedom of creativity. But why does he treat me with such estrangement? Does this complaint sound familiar to you? To you who are in a relationship that doesn't involve a psychopath, that doesn't involve someone who's so extreme? Have you ever heard or have you ever said, my God, why is it that I can't do anything without my wife or my spouse trying to limit me? Or, you know, why is it that I can't branch out in life now that I'm getting older? Why does my husband always want me to remain the same, the same paradigm, the same role, unchanging? It's because the imagination of another doesn't change in this kind of relationship, in this kind of bondage, when it's psychopathological. Our holding another in a certain kind of an image doesn't allow for growth. In the book, The Collector, we are privy to Miranda's soliloquizing. We are able to hear the words she writes in her diary and then sequesters away so that Frederick won't find it, so that Frederick won't realize that she's not earnest in her dramatics to play into his game. And Miranda does learn to play into Frederick's imagination in order to stay alive. She realizes it's the only way that she can possibly avoid punishments and possibly gain freedom. Now, perhaps you keep one of these journals and you pour your disgruntlement and difficulty into it, not realizing how to name the fact that you are being stultified by another's imagination of you, by another's desire to maintain the imagination of you. And certainly, we rarely hear the narratives of captives of severe narcissists, such as Frederick. We rarely hear them because they realize the truth will anger the severely narcissistic person, the malignant narcissist. 
as with a lot of us, she continues to play a role that will placate Frederick. She continues to do things that he asks of her, and in return he does things that she asks, and they play a charade. Only Miranda understands that it's a charade. So Miranda placates Frederick in order to maintain peace. Not just stay alive, but maintain peace. She also gets to a point where she resigns herself to the fantasy of Frederick being in love with the imagination of her, with the imagination of their coupledom. He's never touched her physically. It's all in the imagination. Now, how many of us have played along with someone who expects us to maintain a certain role, who expects us to act a certain way, and as much as it feels limiting to us, we do it to maintain peace. And how many of us who wake at three in the morning realizing this decide to resign ourselves to this life, decide to resign ourselves to the imagination of another, of our spouse, of our partner, to avoid stress, to maintain a status quo, to avoid upset in a relationship that at least minimally is satisfying, albeit limiting our growth, albeit restricting us from being ourselves. And this choice of resignation to the imagination of another, what's the cost to us? What's the cost to knowing that we will never be ourselves? We are ever doomed to be the figment of another's imagination. My own father did this. He virtually had a double life. He allowed himself to conform to my mother's imagination of what he should look like, how he should dress, what he should eat. And then he was able to create a space intellectually and socially with other comrades in places where he had dinner and places where he was able to converse. So he felt that in making that concession to her regarding clothing and regarding the food she put on the table, that that was a small price to pay to keep peace in the house when he could carve out a space for himself outside of that realm. But he did pay for this concession to peace. His relationship with my mother was loveless. There was absolutely no intimacy, no physical intimacy, no emotional intimacy. And her restrictions limited him from loving others. In her imagination of him, he wasn't a musician. So at one point, he sold all of his instruments and stopped singing, stopped playing the piano, his love. How many of you are all too familiar with this sad scenario in your own lives or in the private lives of others? How many of you have broken free from a captivity within another's imagination of you and in your liberation have begun to be yourself? Thank you for listening today. And thank you for pondering these germane and probably very stirring questions. 
This is your host, Suzanne Cole, on Monster Stories Podcast, Living with Evil. The website is www.monsterstoriespodcast.com. You can reach me there. The beautiful music you hear on the intro and outro of this podcast is friend and master cellist, David Darling. Thank you. Thank you.